0: Today's reading is from Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 28. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Ly- Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame, <coughs> He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand upon your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he, he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the law, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples.
1: Oh, thank you very much Chloe. So as you probably heard um, earlier on we uh, prayed this morning for one of our mission partners called Crestos Mission who work among the Karen people in northern Thailand and uh, you can see some of the Karen there on your screen but the story of how the Karen became Christians is actually a very very interesting one. Uh, They were first evangelised by missionaries uh, in the early 1800s and actually a large proportion of the Karen have always been Christian uh, ever since. Uh, When the missionaries arrived, interestingly, they were helped by two things. Uh, One was that although the um, Karen worshipped um, spirits and were basically animistic in their beliefs, they also had a belief in one Creator God who was the god over the the whole spirit and natural world. They also had a belief uh, in a lost golden book that would one day be restored to them by somebody with white skin. And so, when the missionaries arrived, the Karen were very, very excited indeed. Uh, Were these the people that could restore the knowledge from their lost golden book to them? And would they be able to tell them more about this one Creator God so that they could come to know Him for themselves? And of course, the missionaries and uh, later on many of the Karen themselves were able to use these two bridges into Karen culture in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. If you'd like to learn more about um, Christos' mission, And uh, if you'd be interested in uh, reading more about um, these two aspects of Karen belief, the last couple of pages of this book here um, will um, help you do that. And for this morning, uh, one week only, you can have this book for um, free, and it's available on the welcome table uh, on the uh, way out if you're interested in reading more about the Karen. Now, the question for us this morning, of course, is not so much how can we share the gospel with tribes in the middle of the jungle but more how can we share the gospel with those people that we come into contact with uh, here in Hong Kong. I know of course that Hong Kong is very diverse indeed and for many people in Hong Kong they've got at least some knowledge of um, Christianity maybe from school, maybe from their background. Um, And we saw last week that that was more the kind of people that Paul was preaching to in the Jewish synagogue uh, over at Pisidian Antioch. But then of course there's many, many people, maybe many more people in Hong Kong who actually have very little concept of the Christian God and Christianity at all. They've got very little background in uh, Christianity. They're maybe not even sure that somebody like Jesus even existed. Uh, How can we share the gospel with people like them? Well, that's the question that I would like us to think about this morning as we come to Paul's ministry, especially in Iconium and Lystra. And especially at Lystra, where we see Paul trying to communicate with those who had absolutely no background at all in God and the Bible. They were basically pagans who um, worshipped the Greek gods of Zeus and Hermes instead. And so really in this passage, I think Paul can be a model for us, as we seek to build bridges with those around us in order to communicate the good news about Jesus Christ to them. And uh, we see here, I think, we learn um, three lessons. And uh, number one there on your sheets is expect evangelism to take time. And I think this is perhaps one of the lessons from Paul's visit to Iconium in verse 1 to 7. Now, there's lots of things that we could pick up on here. Uh, We could maybe pick up on Paul's boldness there in verse 3. We could pick up on the way that God um, confirmed his word through miracles perhaps. Uh, We could pick up on the way that Paul continued to preach the gospel in in Iconium uh, in spite of opposition. But what I really want us to just focus on for a few minutes is that last little phrase there in verse 3 where it says that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time in Iconium speaking boldly. About the Lord. So in verse 1, we are told that Paul and Barnabas entered the Jewish synagogue as usual. We looked at that uh, last week, and that a large number of Jews and Greeks believed. Uh, However, there's also opposition as well. So we read uh, when we come to verse 2, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And then we come to the big surprise here, I think for me, verse 3. So Um, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly about the Lord. Now, I need to be very honest with you. If this was me, I think I would have concluded, well, some people have become Christians. There's a lot of opposition going on as well. The opposition's pretty bad. It's probably the Lord's will for me to move on elsewhere, and I would have probably left. Isn't it remarkable that we read here that there was considerable opposition, therefore so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly about the Lord. Presumably, what were they doing? Well, presumably they were teaching those who had already become Christians, and they were continuing to evangelize uh, those who had not yet responded, maybe answering their objections um, and hopefully leading them to faith in Christ. But I think one implication for us is this, that effective evangelism takes time. Uh, We see elsewhere in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas usually stayed somewhere as long as they possibly could, as long as the door of opportunity remained open to them. And I think this is very helpful for us uh, this morning uh, in the particular cultural moment that we are living in, and especially when it comes to seeking to communicate the gospel uh, to those who have very little background in Jesus and the Bible. We expect those things to take time. And it's obviously great when people respond to the gospel very quickly, and it's wonderful when that happens, and that's that's occasionally how things work out, and that is the way, very often, that things have worked out historically, maybe in some other cultures, and maybe especially in places like the UK and North America. So you can think of the heyday of a great Christian evangelist, somebody like Billy Graham, maybe, back in the 1950s. Uh, All you needed to do was fill a stadium with people, and then Billy Graham would come along and preach, and many, many people would respond. Most people already believed in God. Um, Many people in the culture already knew the basic uh, truths of the gospel, either from church or from school. And so all that was really needed was a great appeal for them to receive Christ. And uh, um, many people responded and came forwards. But that is very definitely not where the culture in the West is now. The culture in the West has changed dramatically. The vast majority of people aren't religious. Very, very few of them believe in God. Very few have any reliable knowledge of Jesus, the Bible, and the Gospel at all. And Christianity has a generally negative image. And the result of all this is that for most people in the West, as well as for many people of other religions throughout the rest of the world, that Christianity is not even on the radar screens for them. It is not that they have looked into Christianity and decided to reject it. It's just viewed as something that's completely and utterly irrelevant to their lives. Why on earth uh, would we even have that as an option? As uh, evangelist Rico Tice says in his excellent little book, Honest Evangelism, um, culturally we are such a long way from biblical Christianity that people don't object to faith having engaged with it. They simply dismiss it. Jesus simply isn't on the agenda. He isn't even an option to be considered. Uh, People hardly ever think about why they don't agree with your beliefs, and even if they do, they put it in the, it's fine for you, um, but it's not for me, Box. The culture is teaching people not to consider Christianity even when life goes wrong, or when there seems no point to anything, or when a loved one dies. Now, I know that this is not everybody in Hong Kong by a long shot, but especially if you work for a Western company, or you work with those who are very heavily influenced by the West then this will be um, many of the people that you know and that you rub shoulders with. I know this is most certainly the case for many of my friends in Hong Kong who aren't Christians. Uh, They may be politely interested in the fact that I'm a Christian pastor um, but there's no obvious contact point at all for Christianity in their lives. Certainly no sense that it is a um, viable option or something that is relevant for them. And so really one implication of all this for us is that we expect evangelism, we expect sharing the gospel with people to take time. It will take time for someone to build up enough trust to listen to what Christians are actually teaching. It will take time for them to come to understand some of the basic truths about God and Jesus and the gospel and what that is and what that is not. Probably even longer for them to come to respond to it for themselves. And so therefore we ought not to be too discouraged if we are Christians and we really don't see immediate response. Maybe immediate responses to our invitations for people to actually come to church or maybe to attend something like our Christianity Explored course. Uh, We expect evangelism to take time and then for those of you here who aren't christians this is also relevant for you we understand that it takes time to engage with christianity and therefore it's absolutely fine for you to come along and listen and observe and ask questions as a church community we really want you to feel able to actually do that now of course It is true that we all need to come to that place for ourselves where we need to decide to become a follower of Christ. And that is really important. And that is something that's very, very urgent indeed. But we also want you to understand that we know that it takes time. It takes time to build up confidence. It takes time to come to understand what the gospel is. And it takes time to think through the implications of that for uh, ourselves. And we would want you to feel very much free um, to be doing that. So then, that is uh, one thing that we see here. We expect evangelism to take time. Then we also see, number two, uh, that we are to look for contact points for the gospel. And we see this from Paul's preaching in Lystra in verse 8 to 18. And what I think we really see here is that Paul looks for contact points between the gospel and where people are at so that uh, he can make use of them um, to increase their understanding of the gospel and uh, move to the gospel from there. Um, This is what commentator John Stott um, says about Paul's approach. We need to learn from Paul's flexibility. We have no liberty to edit the heart of the good news about Jesus Christ, but we have to begin with where people are to find a point of contact with them. So, um, look with me at uh, what this looked like for the Apostle Paul. So, we're told in verse 6 here that Paul headed to L- Lystra and continued to preach the gospel there. Then we uh, read about a healing um, in Lystra in verse 8 to 10. This is actually very, very similar indeed uh, to the healing that we've already seen in Peter's ministry back in Acts 3. It's what uh, one pastor has um, called a kangaroo miracle because this man literally leaps up and um, starts walking as um, soon as he's healed, um, leaps up uh, like a kangaroo. Then complete chaos seems to erupt. This crowd begin to call out in the Lyconian language, and they start trying to worship Paul and Barnabas as the Greek gods Zeus and Hermes. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, you feel that this maybe just sounds a little bit far-fetched. However, it's not quite as crazy as it seems. There was a well-known legend uh, in this area, long before the time of Christ, that Zeus and Hermes had actually come into this region disguised as men. They had sought out uh, hospitality and were were rejected 1,000 times until a very poor old man and, and his wife took them in. At which point the gods um, suddenly turned the elderly couple's home into a a beautiful temple and they destroyed the homes of all those who had rejected them. And so here the people of Lystra are basically nervous of a rerun. That's what they're nervous of. They're nervous that Zeus and Hermes have actually come down again and so they immediately bring out the bulls and the reeds, and uh, they want to start making offerings to Paul and Barnabas. All this, of course, took place in the Lyconian language. We we're explicitly told that, so it's highly unlikely that Paul and Barnabas would have really understood what was going on. But as soon as they do, they're in verse um, fourteen. They immediately um, tear their clothes, which was an action, sort of ab- abject horror at what was happening, um, and they rush into the crowd to, to tell them to stop. And they then begin to speak. To them Uh, we can can see their words here friends why are you doing this we too are only human like you we are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things presumably the idols to the living god who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in the past he lets all nations go their own way yet he has not left himself without testimony he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy." And so Paul's really giving us a lesson here on how to deal with a crowd who have no biblical worldview. You saw last week how Paul speaks to those from a Jewish background, uh, how he began with the Old Testament, you remember, the prophecies, and uh, we saw how they all pointed uh, forwards towards Christ. But here, we see that with pagan Gentiles, Paul actually starts in a very different place. He begins with idolatry and the nature of God. So then let's look at a couple of contact points that he uses. And the first one that we can see is the emptiness of idolatry. So these people are basically about to sacrifice bulls um, to the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, don't do this. We are only men like you. We're just trying to bring you good news. Um, telling you to turn from these worthless things. Paul's saying that the idols that they worship in their temples are useless and futile and fleeting and empty. Um, He knows that every one of us is a worshipper. The only question is what or who will we worship? Um, Will we worship something that we kind of make up for ourselves that's man-made and uh, generated by human beings? Or will we worship the one true god that's uh, right at the heart of the question here paul knows that uh, this is is a contact point that christians will always have with those around them Uh, the people in your office are all worshiping whether they realize it or not even the ones that say that they're not worshiping anything are still actually worshiping it can be something like success or reputation or power or status or comfort or security or relationships there can be all kinds of things but for sure there is some idol that they are actually worshipping in their hearts uh, they may not be sacrificing bulls and wreaths to it but yet they may well be sacrificing large amounts of money and time and effort uh, to their idol uh, in order to feel that they have meaning uh, and purpose in their lives Maybe one other way we could approach it more personally is like this. Uh, I wonder how you would finish the following sentence. My life would be complete if only I had. I wonder what word came into your mind right then. My life would be complete if only I had what? If only I had that promotion at work. If only I met Mr. or Miss Wright. If only I had more money so I could be more comfortable. I wonder what word came into your mind then because that word is highly likely for you to be something that you are tempted to worship as an idol. What do you daydream about? What is that thing that you most want? Well, you see, God's word, the, the Bible, says that those things are idols for us and that ultimately they are empty and fleeting and futile. They may be great things in and of themselves in their right place, uh, but we're not to make gods out of them and start living for them and worshipping them. They promise a pleasure that will never last they often lead to anxiety if we think we are about to lose them they often lead to anger if we think that somebody is about to take our precious idol away from us worst of all they are dishonoring to god because they steal our worship and love away from him the one to whom it rightly belongs and paul is saying that is a contact point that we will always have with the people around us what things are the people around us living for that will ultimately turn out to be empty are there ways that we can maybe very humbly and very gently help them to see the futility of life without god then we also see another important contact point here which is the character of god so deep down paul says everybody knows that god exists because he has left his fingerprints in their lives And so look at at the text with me. Uh, Paul says that God is alive. He is the living God. That's not like idols. They are dead. Um, God is alive. He also says that God is the creator. He's the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Again, that's a great contact point with those people around us who maybe aren't Christians. When our friends see a beautiful sunset here in Hong Kong, uh, or maybe when they're on holiday and they go scuba diving and they see all those beautiful co- colourful corals. Or they see the uh, colours of the flowers and, and the birds and over in uh, Hong Kong Park perhaps. Um, Paul said that all of those things speak to them, that God exists and that he made them and uh, he made the whole world around us. Um, Paul says this even more clearly over in Romans 1. Um, so in Romans 1, he says that God has made himself known so that everybody is without excuse. Romans 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now we can try and uh, beat down and um, suppress the, that knowledge and pretend that God is not there after all. But deep down, Paul is saying everybody knows that God is there and deep down, that they are accountable to him. Then lastly, he says that God is not only the creator, um, but he's also the one who organizes the details of our lives, uh, what we call if we're Christians, God's providence. So God has not left himself without a testimony, but he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So again, there's a contact point here. This means that for the majority of people who aren't Christians, their life is often quite good. Uh, God has shown his kindness to those who aren't Christians in many, many ways. They may ignore him. They may even say he doesn't exist. But yet he still gives them rain and crops. He provides them with nice food year after year. And he fills their hearts with joy. It's definitely not true that the life of someone who isn't a a, a Christian is just filled with unremitting misery. That's not true. Rather, there can be many ways that the um, life of someone who isn't a Christian is um, um, temporally um, really good. But yet Paul says that even those good things point ultimately towards God. Where does the joy of eating really good food ultimately come from? Where does the pleasure and happiness of meaningful relations ultimately come from? Doesn't it ultimately come from God? Who is not only the creator but is actually the God who organizes your life in a way that reflects something of his love and his goodness and his care. It's an amazing thought. What a gracious and um, kind God we serve. So hopefully you can see some of the contact points that Paul uses here to communicate the gospel and that um, maybe we can use as well. The emptiness of idols and the character of God, God's kindness um, to us in many ways. I'm sure you'll you'll be able to think of lots of other potential contact points as well. Um, We could think maybe of the search for love and community that uh, many of us have, uh, or maybe the desire for something transcendent, something beyond ourselves that is placed there by God that we might seek him in the current context you might think of the disillusionment with politics maybe or the death of the Queen in the UK perhaps and both of those point to the longing that we surely all have for a perfect king or a perfect ruler uh, who will never die and so maybe um, just have your eyes and ears open this coming week and look around you and listen and think well What are some of the contact points that exist between some of the people that I know and the Christian message? What contact points are there? Are there any on-ramps, if you like? Are there any on-ramps that um, you could potentially use um, to have helpful conversations uh, with people that you know? Or how about this? Maybe the next time you read a book or you watch a good movie, um, maybe ask, well, what are some of the contact points between this book And Christianity Uh, what what are some of the contact points between this movie and um, the Christian gospel and so Christian author Dan Strange says in a culture where we often think that no one is interested in our message we do in fact have evangelistic ways in but we need to know where to look if you want to read more on this whole sort of uh, integration between sort of culture and the Christian message then that book uh, plugged in by Dan Strange is a really great one. It's one that we use with our ministry apprentices. Um, Paul's showing us here that we do in fact have ways in, um, but we need to know where to look. Now there's one other important thing I need to say here, which is that ultimately we need to be pointing people to Jesus. In fact, we'd probably call what Paul is doing here pre-evangelism rather than evangelism. Uh, in many ways what Paul says here is really just preparing the way for him to share more about Jesus and why he came and we know from elsewhere in Acts that that was Paul's u- usual practice at this point uh, he usually went on to speak about Jesus' death and especially his resurrection uh, Jesus' resurrection declaring that he was the coming judge who commands all people everywhere to repent and turn from their idols towards the true and living God and so no matter where we start we want to end up with the good news about Jesus Christ. Start again. Um, wherever we begin, we shall end up with Jesus Christ, who himself is the good news and who alone fulfills all human aspirations. And that's a really helpful quote. No matter where we start, we want people, we want to lead people to Jesus Christ, the one who loves them and the one who gave himself for them on the cross. So then we must look for contact points for the gospel. Uh, There's one final point that we need to make um, more briefly, uh, which is be willing to suffer hardship for Christ. And I think for me personally, looking at this passage, uh, this is probably the most um, challenging part um, for me. You see, many of us never even get near to the point of trying to look for on-ramps to talk to people about Jesus. And the reason is that we're just way too risk-averse. Uh, we are unwilling to face the hardship and rejection um, that um, speaking to people uh, about Christ or um, living faithfully for him demands. Uh, Maybe you've been put off by Christians in the the past who just seem to be really culturally insensitive, maybe, uh, or were just way too extreme, and the result is that you've kind of really backed off and uh, you're a long way from where the Apostle Paul is here, where he was willing to actually suffer and be persecuted for the sake of Christ. And so look with me again in verse 2. We see he faces opposition in Iconium and then later on needs to flee from Iconium because of a plot against his life. And then in Lystra, things are even worse. They're really bad. We read in verse 19 and 20 that some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and they deliberately stirred this crowd up against Paul. And so they stone him and they drag him outside the walls and they leave him therefore dead. It seems that wherever Paul goes here, there's a sort of trail of blood which uh, actually goes with him um, as he suffers for the sake of Christ. About um, 20 years after this, uh, Paul referred to these experiences again uh, later on when he writes to Timothy, who you may remember was actually from the town of Lystra, and he writes these words to Timothy in chapter 3 and uh, Verse 10 to 12, he says, Timothy, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. I'm sure he did. Persecutions, sufferings, uh, what kinds of things happened to me in where? Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I guarantee you, none of you have stuck that last verse On your um, fridge everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted Uh, we also see Paul's teaching so from verse 21 to 25 he makes a return journey back through all the places he's been uh, strengthening and encouraging the disciples and then the second half of verse 22 uh, we can see his teaching he says we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so personally for me looking at this passage, this has been the really challenging thing. How willing am I to actually suffer hardship for the sake of Christ? Does that even feature on my radar screen at all? Um, In his book on evangelism that we've already referred to, Rico Tice speaks about crossing the pain barrier And uh, what he means by that is coming to that point where we know that it's going to cost us to speak about Christ, but keeping on going um, anyway, uh, crossing the pain barrier, asking that question that may just make the conversation a little bit more awkward or take it to a different level. Um, Letting that work colleague know that you are a Christian, admitting to your school friends, maybe if you're a teenager, that you attend church on Sunday mornings risking rejection when you invite somebody along to church or a christian event getting baptized even although some of your family members may be hostile to that maintaining your commitment to what the bible says about relationships even although the world around you and your own desires maybe are pushing you in a different direction all of those things are incredibly hard but all of those things are worth it we're following in christ's footsteps and living a life worthy of him, storing up treasure in heaven. But these are also things that God can really use to bring other people to faith in him. In our passage here, I actually think this is one of the reasons why they ended up being Christians in each of these places that Paul visited. The people there had actually seen Paul um, suffering for the gospel. They knew that Paul was really serious about Jesus Christ. Uh, They knew that he loved them because he was willing to lay down his life and actually suffer for them. He was willing to cross the pain barrier so that others could hear the good news about Jesus. Well, when I worked in London, one of my roles in the church there was to help lead Bible studies for men who worked uh, in the area around where our church was. And uh, one of the men in one of my Bible study groups was a lawyer called Richard Gray. And uh, Richard Gray actually used to work here in Hong Kong uh, prior to becoming a Christian for uh, Allen and Overy, I think. And uh, one of the interesting things about Richard Gray was that he was in the same year at school as Rico Tice, the Christian evangelist, who I've already mentioned. Rico Tice became a Christian while he was uh, at school. and. Uh, Later on, of course, he um, started the Christianity Explored course, uh, which is uh, one of the courses we use here. And later on, Richard wrote about his experiences, and uh, this is uh, some of the things that he said. He says, I distinctly remember Rico's conversion at school. I suspect if you asked most of our contemporaries, they would remember it too, although oh, it was over 30 years ago. Why was it so memorable? For two reasons. Firstly, the merciless reaction shown towards Rico, the constant public and private attempts to humiliate him and get him to relinquish his newfound faith, which went on for many, many months. He goes on. Secondly, what really struck me was how Rico carried himself during such a difficult time for him. The easy option would have been to turn back or keep quiet, but Rico stuck to his faith and kept talking about his faith. Although I didn't realize it at the time, Rico's conversion and resolute faith sowed the first seed in my mind. Who was it that gave Rico the strength to continue down such a difficult path? That was the first stage in my journey which many, many years later led me to Jesus. When I finally I accepted Jesus into my life. One of the first things I felt I needed to do was to write to Rico, despite not having been in contact with him for many years, to let him know how his journey and struggle at school had helped me on my way. Wonderful story. It's just a little reminder of how God can use the suffering and hardship of his people to bring others to faith in him. We may not realize it, but God even uses the hardship and the rejection and the inconvenience and the many difficulties that we may be experiencing to bring others to faith in him. Are we willing to cross the pain barrier for the sake of Christ? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for your word to us this this morning. We give thanks for this example of how Paul used these contact points to present the good news of the gospel to the people of Lystra. And we pray that we might be able to do the same for some people that we come into contact with here in Hong Kong. We ask that we will be ready to take risks and even to suffer for Christ so that others might come
0: to know him. And we ask all of these things now.